You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a bite-sized podcast that brings you real-world insights that help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we share best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demand Matrix. Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stack with technographic, intent, and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Asher Matthew, and I'm excited today to talk to Indy Mondal about building a data-driven product team. Indy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me in the show, Asher. That's great. Now, DocuSign has been a longtime customer of Demand Matrix, which is the company that powers this uh, show. So we thank you for your uh, for your business and supporting our efforts. And as we take this show to enable and encourage and educate executives around the world, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Of course. Before we begin, let's dive into how you got to where you are. So do you want to give us a little bit of an intro to who you are and how you got to where you are? Yeah, so uh, again, uh, my name is Indy. Um, I currently uh, lead the data science and product insight team here in DocuSign. Uh, and I've been uh, mostly, uh, my, my objective and purpose is to, one, build a data-driven product uh, development culture here in DocuSign. Uh, and two, in order to enable that, uh, building a you know practice, data science practice capability, as well as experimentation function to, uh, to drive that. Uh, before DocuSign, I was at Hulu. I was leading um, uh, Hulu's data product and data solution. Prior to that, I was in Getty Images, where I built Getty Images, uh, big data strategy and the platform. Just from a little bit of background, I, I come from a, a statistical signal processing background. So I, you know, I, I did my my masters in statistical signal processing. So I've been doing, you know, data analytics. Uh, data science, ML, however you want to call it, before they were called a lot of those things. Uh, and then, you know, just after my graduation, I worked with um, with FA, you know, folks like FA and all um, doing a lot of navigations and, and aer- you know, aerospace algorithms. So I've come f- with a lot of algorithms background, and then uh, over time I, I moved into uh, more into data science and, and data analytics space. Fantastic. You basically went from from understanding signals to understanding noise. And I meet that in the most funnest way because go-to-market teams who use the product make a lot of noise. So <laughs> and then you have to like separate the signal from the noise. So, so let's, exa- let's dive in. Let's, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I said that's exactly right. I mean, in signal processing, you always talk about signal-to-noise ratio, right? <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. So let's talk about how do you build a data-driven product. And I'll preface this for our audience who is international, that the there in most companies or traditionally people thought of product building and then putting a quota on product managers. So they really thought about how do we get this to the market? But the data-driven product building exercise, um, I don't think was popular until companies started to introduce uh, in-product analytics and all these other other tools. But I'd love to get some history from you uh, uh, or get a history lesson from you on it and then get your viewpoints on it. 
Yeah, um, absolutely. I think, you know, uh, before we discuss data-driven product, let's just clarify what do you mean by it, right? Uh, I mean, there are, there are, of course, one view of what is considered a data-driven product. This is the product that we're building that is driven by data, which is, you know, things like your ML product. It could be your recommendation engine. It could be your fraud detection. You know, it could be other data product like reporting and analytics. And then there is a second uh, part of it, which is about using data and insights throughout your product development lifecycle from ideation to development to release and growth in such a way that every decision that you're making are guided by data and insight. And when we talk about data-driven product, product, I primarily sort of refer to this. Uh, and this is also known as you know, data-driven product development, which is a practice of using the data and insights to build your product in order to maximize your customer experience, retention, engagement, growth, and investment. So all of those plays a, you know, a, a big part into your, into your development when you're using data to make, that, make those decisions, right? So when you, you know, think about when you build a data-driven product team or a product culture, there are a few things to consider, right? First and foremost, what I tell everyone starts with your KPIs, right? Ensure that you establish core KPI with goals across the organization from executive to product leads to individual PM. This is where you're making sure that, you know, your GM or, you know, chief product officer has set up a core KPI and then your individual PM has, and there is a strong alignment. So when the PMs are building product, they know exactly what KPIs they're influencing uh, and how. Uh, and think about this as a rear view mirror if, you, if you're using a car analogy, right? I mean, you're, you're driving, and as you're driving, you're looking back in your mirror and saying, okay, where have I been? So this is much more the way I think about your uh, descriptive analytics, right? You're looking, you're looking back. Second is around product metrics, right? This is where we need to make sure that we develop a very rigorous process of developing success metrics with targets whenever possible for every product and feature and ensuring that no product or features are launching without success metrics. So this is the key. This is, this is you know, think about this as a, as a windshield of your car, right? This is as you're driving, these are the operational metrics. As you're driving there, you're actually literally seeing what where you're driving, right? So when you're using the product metrics, the success metrics in conjunction with KPI, now you start to get a little bit of holistic picture of, of how you're building a product, right? And how the products are being successful. Once you have done one or two, which is you have the core KPI, you have the success metrics, now we should focus on more on sort of proactive and prescriptive analysis of product feature usage, right? Where, where we're doing much more deep dive uh, analysis. We're building data science model to uh, deeper understand how the product is being used, the feature is being used, customer behaviors. Uh, this allow us to much more proactively work on how to improve our existing products so that we can drive customer engagement, retention, and usage. And if you follow my car analogy, this the way I talk about this, this is like your automated driver assist, right? This is your lane departure and crash avoidance, right? This is guiding you as a PM, like make sure you stay within the within the within the road. And the finally, I think the last piece of the puzzle around the data-driven product culture is to ensure that you we are integrating experimentation tightly into the product development, right? 
And what do you mean by experimentation? It's, you know, experimentation is the, the practice where you're doing, uh, you know, quantitative validations, comparing one feature, one treatment to other treatment to make sure that we are building features that are very much customers and data-driven. So it provides you a quick, iterative, data-driven approach towards building and optimizing product feature and, and experience across all touch points. And one you know, the, the one last thing I would say, like experimentation is, even though it's always considered part of the product team, it's very important for the product team, but sometimes it can be very useful for go-to-market in terms of formulate go-to-market strategy. And one of the examples that I often give is the, the Robinhood uh, stock trading app. Uh, if any of you are using, right, they have never, but most of the time when they build feature, they don't actually build the features and then go to market in a way a lot of B2B company thinks about. Uh, what they do is they would, within their app, create a, a, you know, a campaign or whatever you want to call it that says, okay, I'm, would you be interested in, has, in a saving account that will give you 1.8% interest? Right, and you say, yeah, sign me up. And the moment you sign you up, it said, okay, you are three, 3 million people in the waiting list. So the, for them, it's the way to get interest, gauge market interest from real user, and that's sort of driving their go-to-market strategy, right? Another example is the Tesla Model 3. They ask everyone to pay $1,000 before they build any product, right? And these are not your typical A-B testing or multivariate testing, but in an experimentation world, this is no, known as you know painted door. Uh, it's, it's a form of experiments that you can do with your user to get real interest and then drive your GTM strategy. Does that make sense? Oh, it totally does. And I would highly encourage if there are folks out in the audience who are in startups or in growth phase to actually do many painted door tests because the first time founders, you know, will always focus on product. Anybody else will focus on go-to-market first because if you have never been through a early stage product development, go-to-market development or fit cycle, it's, it, it's there's too many variables going on. There's the, how does the product get thought about? How does the product get built? How does the product get packaged? How does the product get displayed? That's a whole journey in itself. Alongside that, there is the journey of, is this person interested? Is this person interested in buying? Is this person interested in buying now? Is this person interested in buying now and telling their friends, right? That's another full-blown journey, right? And we need to like work on both at the same time. They're not uh, uh, sequential steps. That's right. And so when you said painted door, it reminded me of uh, uh, my, my the first company I used to work for. And we just used to put a bunch of landing pages on because we just wanted to see what type of newsletter people would actually like. And, and that technically is a painted door test too. You know, the, the thing that you mentioned, right? I mean, oftentimes people think about this are great for an early product company or, um, you know, or a startup. You know, sometimes you can use it within a within an established B2B company as well. Like when you are, a, you know, part of our GTM strategy, if you think when you're forming this, you are doing, you know, user research, but you are actually sampling a very small sample of population through user research. You can technically, you know, get 
very much quantitative validation of what you're thinking through users if you do it right. So it's not just for an early stage startup. You can do that for a B2B as well. I, I do have a question for you here as we're talking about this, because I think it's important to talk about this topic. The person who, at least in my opinion, and I would love to get your opinion, the person who thinks about these painted door tests mm -hmm. cannot be the person who executes this stuff because the thought process is very important to protect and execution takes you down a very different path. And the person who thinks about this should be focused on operating the experiment versus the person who's doing it. Both are equally respected roles, right? It's not like one is uh, lower or higher than the other. They're just very focused on doing this because the person who's executing stuff does not have the all the biases that the person who thinks about this stuff and the person who does this stuff does not have the biases or the, or the things about this stuff does not have the biases of the person who does this stuff based on technology use, product stack, et cetera, et cetera, all these other things, right? So I would recommend that two people do this and you work and a part on, on this stuff. Absolutely agree. And this is where, you know, when we build experiments and practice in any, any organization, you, you want to ensure that, you know, a, a, a process of governance where you're doing this experimentation design and, uh, an analysis in a way that where you're not creeping. It's like, it's not you already know the answers and you're just looking for data to justify this. It's the other way around, right? So uh, even in doctor science, the way we're building our experimentation practice, we actually have an experimentation um, a center of excellence team. They get involved into the design of experiments and we work with the PM. The PM are the, uh, the, the product managers are the one who have the hypothesis. It's not the, the, the data scientists coming up with the hypothesis, right? We're working with them. So yeah, you're absolutely right. But how we build this practice of experimentation in a way that's, you know, as we said, it's, it's not fully influenced by, or the bias don't creep in, right? It's, it's key. Yes. Yes, 100%. So I, I guess let's talk about now product teams and go-to-market teams working together, right? And you've had plenty of experience um, in, in seeing these relationships being created, being managed, being transformed. So what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, look, if let's start maybe from your customer, you know, sort of life cycle, if you will, right? If you look into your customer life cycle, you start from the you know, the awareness to acquisition, then you go to loyalty to growth, right? If you look that journey in the middle, there is a big part that called product and services, right? So one of the things that you, you know, we can create a huge amount of awareness if you think from marketing first approach, right? In terms of drive and drive initiative to acquire new customers, or if you look from, uh, you know, the sales side, you can create a lot of initiative for driving sales, but if you don't have the right product or the services or the experience that customer is having or expecting, you'll never be able to create loyalty. And I think this is why it's, you know, it's imperative for a product team and the product data team, if you will, to work in partnership with uh, the go-to-market as well as, uh, you know, customer success and, and sales, right? I mean, this is, you know, we are all, the one thing that I often talk about, like, each team is responsible for a set of KPI that they can directly influence. 
And I'll give you an example. If you think about go-to-market and the marketing, most of the metrics that we are focusing on are revenue-driven or growth, right? You're getting more number of users or account or, you know, you have a revenue target. If a product team focus on any of those, those are those are not the primary metrics for a product team to focus because you can't, you can't drive those, right? As we can't, those cannot be our primary KPI because we cannot directly influence. What we can influence from a product is to make sure that we provide the, the best experience. We drive the, we provide the product that drive usage, engage, engagement, and option, right? And once you do that, that will result into revenue and growth. So it's a, it's a virtual cycle or virtuous cycle, if you will, when, when this team work together, because everybody's working on the, on their part in a way by, by maximizing the KPIs or the metrics that they're influencing, you are influencing the entire life cycle. Okay. And I guess I'm looking for some maybe tidbits of knowledge around when these two teams interact mm-hmm. and they get stuck. How do we unstuck these things? Because on the surface, salespeople like to sell. Yeah. Product teams like to build products that are flashy. Salespeople like to sell. Or good market teams like to uh, sell and market things that are flashier, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but in the middle, there is, at least in my own opinion, patience required. Yes. And and when the pressure's on, on both sides of the org, right, the, the Patience is not the first word that comes up, mm-hmm. right? And so when those situ- tough situations happen, wh- what do you do? Like, what's the uh, advice there? I could give you a couple of examples, but before I, I jump there, I think this is where it's what what's critical is to make sure that you are aligning with the, the overall objective and how each of us are influencing that part, right? I mean... If you come down to the product team, say you you know you have all these customer requests and all these features needs to be built, and the product team like okay we can't right we have to prioritize this, and how you go around to make sure that the end game is to if it is a risk of churning a set of customers or if it is a you know driving revenue, you know how we jointly prioritize a set of feature, and this is where the the, the data team can also help in order to understanding the customer behavior and the usage to prioritize, look, among the all the five feature assets you gave me to work on, these are the two things we want to work because based on our analysis, we look like this has the largest amount of impact to our customer, right? Because of the, the analysis we have done. I think the more we focus around not the task, but the end goal, and, and this is a classic thing that often happen because the the differences not always come on the demand, like, it's also the, the the language that are spoken sometimes you know are not always the same because you are talking about revenue 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 and we are talking about usage right because and the experience yeah. and and this is where i yeah. think um, in my mind the the data the product data team and the the gtm data team like the partnership becomes very very useful like how one influence the another Right, and it's it's not they're not mutually exclusive, as I told before. They're they're very very related. Right. Yes. So. Yes, I would say I'm going to go out on a limb. 
and make this statement. There's a lot of hype, maybe conversation, encouragement in the marketplace where people are saying that salespeople should learn about marketing and marketing should learn about sales, right? And in my humble opinion, the only way you can actually do that is if you actually do the job. And so if a salesperson actually tries to become a marketer and understands all the pain points that they go through and maybe swaps the role for a week or two, they will know very quickly the other person's view. Mm -hmm. And I think in, in, and this can be done in large organizations as well, because if you're absent for a week, your team's not going to fumble, Or, or maybe two weeks. And you can actually swap leaders for a week or two. Or double double duty for a week or two. Mm-hmm. Both people are in all the meetings together, or I would say all important meetings together, right? And uh, and you can decide how you want to how you want to call them to be important, right? When that happens, both of those people would have spent two weeks together for one, and two they would have something to talk about that they've both experienced, and then they will start debating why things are a certain way, and they will align. When that happens, the KPI conversation, the matrix conversation, the goals conversation, all of this stuff becomes easy because they've developed some empathy for each other and the work that they're doing. And they realize how tough it is when there's pressure on both sides of the organization. But that's me just making a recommendation. Well, I I think you're absolutely right. But it gets really tougher as the organization scale and become bigger, right? Because I think it's very easy to do that in a smaller organization. But when you have a 1,500 sales team, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to do that, right? I mean, this is where I think that we, the more we can make each other job easier in terms of yep. um, like, the, so one of the conversation I was having, as I was telling, you know, I was just mentioning to you, I'll give you a couple of examples, right? Um, yep, yep. You know, if you're a account uh, manager, I mean, you probably might, you know, as a large company, you might have like you know, hundreds of accounts if you depending on what what um, what sectors you're focusing on. And your job gets really stressful in terms of finding out who to reach out when you reach out, right? Um, think about this, right? If the product team and the sales team are working together in a way that we are able to guide you as, sir, as the, the, the account manager, you come today and say, you know, yeah. these are the two accounts you need to call today or pay attention or this week. You know, it looks like, you know, they are not using this feature as much as the other people. Like the more, and this is where I feel like as a data team, you can start providing real meaningful impact, giving prescriptive, um, you know, sort of insights to the sales team where they can use that and make their life a little bit easier. So, yes, you are right when, you know, from a, but when you, you know, you grow to a point where having this, um like what you can do in a hundred people organization gets really difficult. And this is where the data can help scale in a way that makes sure that, yep. you know, your love job become easier. I'll, the another example I'll give you is, you know, if you think about you want to run a bunch of campaign because you will expect your user to use more features. I said, okay, I'm going to run campaign in terms of yep. uh, driving feature usage. You go to your competitive, you know, uh, uh, intelligence team, you understand, okay, what are the set of features that actually drive stickiness or, um, you know, or retention, right? And you try to create this campaign and then 
this is where the product team and uh, the marketing team start partnering and looking into our data and say, you know, these features are highly correlated. So if we take a cross section between the features that we go from the competitive intelligence team and what we have, like if there are these five features we drive, we see the maximum uh, bang for the buck because you know, from the data and, you, you know, as a product data team, we can easily do that, right? And we're doing it. So I think a lot of the things that we are discussing in terms of barrier or difficulty can be solved also just being really diligent and, uh, you know, and, and a little bit more prescriptive with the data and insights. Yeah. No, I mean, so what you said about the competitive intelligence team is actually really good because you need to start from somewhere That's right. and the two teams have to work on something mm-hmm. and you can't put the teams together and say, figure it out mm-hmm. because you have to give people a starting point. That's right. And and leveraging your competitive intelligence team, if you don't have one, absolutely should create one. Maybe that's a, uh, the the topic for another podcast. Uh, but the, the key learning there is, is you have to start from somewhere. And as an organization, if you can provide that, uh, feedback from from the outside in, mm-hmm. in that that will help uh, the conversation go faster. Now, you've seen a lot of companies grow really big. Arguably, the one that you're at right now has experienced massive growth. But let's talk about the other aspect of this. What if there are there's a VP of data uh, science that is starting out mm-hmm. in a company? What are some of the things that are actionable that he or she can do to lay the foundation for creating a data-driven product team? Yeah, and I could tell, like, I have literally gone through the journey with, with DocuSign as well, right? When I joined a year and a half ago. So I can, I can give you some practical um, experience that worked. Um, and, you know, I think the first and foremost thing we have to acknowledge that you know, product data science is different than, say, marketing data science. And, like, you know, the in, in a way, because we are focusing on different things and, and it's not the one size that fit all, right? Uh, and when it comes to product data science, I think the things that I was talking to you at the beginning are, are still true, right? When you start, make sure, start with your rear view mirror, which is your... KPIs. It's really important. Not just work on the KPI. Make sure that there is actually goals for the KPIs, right? A KPIs in itself is pretty useless unless you know what is the goals. Start with those. The way we have done it, or we do uh, every end of the year, we spend time all the way to the the head of the product and every product manager to make sure that we are focusing on the KPIs that are that we can influence. So we take things like revenue and out and put everything around usage, adoption, experience. Like those are the things, and what is the target? So that's the number one. Number two is, you know, make sure that you actually have a process and your data science team taking the lion's shares of accountability and responsibility, working with the PM to define the success metrics of the product, right? If I, if you just come on board and say, we need to build a data-driven product team, it's not just going to happen, right? I mean, this is where you have to enable that. And the way you do that is to ensure uh, that the data scientists are completely in line with the product manager. So one thing we've done here in DocuSign 
Uh, unlike other places, for us, our data scientist team is not like just uh, the horizontal team. We don't wait wait product teams to come to us. We have a data scientist focusing on, uh, you know, either a product lead or a set of product. So they are they are part of, you know, their extended team. So if you are a product manager, you you know, a pro- or you have a product lead. I have a data scientist that is working with you. You're presenting your team meetings. Uh, and so the the understanding the context and having a visibility of the roadmap and making sure that they are working together is, is really key. And so we can start working with the PMs on the success metric at the time of the planning phase, right? Once you're able to define that, I think the, key, the next key thing for a data science uh, lead to think about, like, do you actually have the right uh, instru- product instrumentation capability? Because it's really key for, like, you know, if you are not able to capture the data that you need to do for the metrics that you want to measure, it's not going to work, right? So, you know, and, and we took a lot of effort here in the last year and a half to ensure that we have the right capabilities and maturity and platform in terms of when it comes to, you know, uh, instrumentation so that the data science team can actually guide the product teams and the engineering team what to instrument and how to instrument, right? So that, you know, and then the other thing uh, we talk about, uh, once you have all this in place, uh, you know, start to think about how can you now be a lot more proactive and put your uh, rear view mirror, put your wind sail, now start to think about like, okay, how can we guide this PM so that it's not always like manual, right? This is where you start put, start to build your data science models uh, and so on and so forth. Don't start your data science model on day one. That's going to be my advice because, you know, it's pretty easy. I'm going to go build a churn model. I'm going to build, like, yes, you can do that. But if you don't have the foundational block, I don't think you'll go far, right? And you'll not definitely not able to create a culture because the, the PMs will not find value. They'll only... You know, they'll only start believing this when it's useful to them. And that's only when in the, I'm launching a product. Now I exactly know how my product is doing. And right. does that make sense? Oh, it absolutely does. And, and this is very wise because as I've learned from folks like yourself is knowing what problem you're solving is really, really important if you're going to go down this path. And so if the goals aren't clear, everything else is not going to be clear and you have to spend as much time as you possibly can to keep refining the goals until you get to one that leads you to your success metric. All right. This has been a awesome conversation. I have, I always do this, taken a full page of notes for the, I mean, folks are not going to get this video, but I I literally have a full page of notes (laughs) that I've written down. So thank you for educating me and thank you for educating our audience and, I guess as we close this out, uh, who would be three other folks in data science or go to market that you would recommend we bring on the show? Yeah, I think uh, I was thinking about this. Uh, you know, one of the person I would recommend, um, I work with him when I was at Hulu. His name is Jeffrey uh, Jeff Rosenberg. He's he's the SVP in in of data science at Tuning. The the one more person uh, I also worked with. My first phase when I was in Hulu was uh, Irfan uh, Ranmal. He's a EVP at um, Beachbody. And, 
if you're looking for a third person, I would say, um, you know, I, I know someone called Eric Hasmerick, a group close friend of mine, and he's an executive director at Providence Health. He would also be a good person to provide perspective on, a, on an engineering side. Yeah, these are all great names, and sounds like you have pretty pretty experienced friends out there, which is great, Yeah, because uh, we would like to take some, some learnings from their experience and uh, help other people. Now, you've shared a lot, right? I mean, from the, the painted door tests, to the guidance on having KPIs and goals, to understanding how you can, uh, well, we didn't talk about this in detail, but I'm sure this is going to come up as a topic that people were to follow up on is how does one think about creating a center of excellence for uh, for experimentation to competitive intelligence to start off conversations with? I mean, there's a lot of information here and it's great. How would people connect with you if they wanted to connect with you after this podcast? Uh, I think the best way to do that through LinkedIn you know, I'm very active in LinkedIn. If you just search my first name, I think I have a pretty uncommon name. So if you just search Indrasis, I think the first one comes up is me. Uh, so feel free to connect with me and, and I'll be more than more than happy to spend time. You know, I also do a lot of advising and consulting here in, in Seattle. I'm pretty active in, in Seattle data space. So again, if you reach out, I'll be more than happy to spend yeah, in-person time or you know, over Zoom. Fantastic. Well, Thank you once again, and we will definitely take you up on bringing you back on the show in a year. Thank you once again for coming on the show, and best of luck in your journey. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks Thanks for having me on the show, Ashton. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us, and share these insights with your peers.